Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, it is that time of the week, the favorite Tuesday you've had all week. And I know you've been waiting for the True Wealth Show. Stoked to have you joining us today. I'm your host, David Littlejohn. Joining me in studio today, Matthew Dixon. I'm back. All right, we got him back in the studio, the whiz kid here. And uh, we are going to be talking about, you know, we're going to unpack something today on the show that. Uh, we've probably touched on it before, but never this directly. And it's relevant to, I think, all of you as listeners, because we're seeing it more and more. Uh, maybe you haven't framed it this way before, but it is something that I think is really important that as investors, we want to know about it. As consumers, we want to know about it. Heck, as Americans, we want to know about it, right? It, it, it permeates our life. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and then you're going to be like, what are you talking about? And the the what we're going to talk about is the cost of scale, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, what I mean by that is scale, like how big something is versus how small. Think like, you know, choo-choo trains, right? Is it a small scale, big scale, right? The cost of scale and the cost not just of how much it, you're going to pay for something, but the trade-offs, right? What are the trade-offs of scale between big and small and what does that mean for us? Let's give our listeners a little example. Give them a small example to start with. So the the it would be the local hardware store versus Walmart. There we go. Right? You know, the local hardware store, you may you know, it's it's small, it's boutique-y, uh, but you think about the cost of putting together a local hardware store and you've got the physical building that it has to be in. So there's a real estate cost associated with it. How about the inventory? All the stuff that you have to keep on the floor, uh, the varying things. And then you've got the staff and the overhead associated with running it, all the various costs associated. And you don't have 50 different stores to spread the costs around. You have one. Yeah. And so uh, now what, what do you get there versus something like a Walmart or maybe Home Depot. When I've better. been in a in a plumbing pinch, like something's broken and it's got to be fixed and I need it done right now. I'm going to the small guy. And you have you've immediately honed in on something that we all intuitively know, but we don't necessarily it's not correlating, recognize, right? Yeah. You don't think about it, which is the service level Yes. It has to be different because the cost structure is different. This is a painful trade-off for us as an American, right? Yeah. Because and we want value, right? Everybody, A lot of people are price shoppers because everything in life is expensive now. It is. Right? Life is just expensive. It's not getting any cheaper. And, and I'm talking about look at the price of gas, the price of homes, look at everything. It is expensive, uh, I, we're not, this show's not about this today, but at one point it calculated the cost of living the American dream. And I want to say it was something like $140,000. You know, if you had a family that was going to take a vacation every year and contribute to your retirement plans and pay for all the things you're supposed to pay for. It's like if you made less than 140000 a year, it's darn hard to have the quote-unquote American dream. It's expensive. Yet my wife wants to go to Hawaii every year. Yes, well, that's so the American dreamer. It is. Yeah, dreamer. <laughs> that's the emphasis there. And 
you know, we talk on this program a lot about you, how you can do things with intention. If you want to go to Hawaii every year, you might be able to. But the thing is, what are you going to trade off for it? Exactly. And I think next week's radio show might talk a little bit about that. The, the, yes, the, the trade-offs and so yeah. forth. Uh, so, but for today, the cost of scale, and that cost comes with trade-offs, right? So you talked about the service level. Right. But are you expecting to get the best deal at the local hardware store? I'm not. But I do want the person that can give me the advice to where I don't have to come back a second time and have spent money the first time making a mistake. I want it done right the first time. Right. So it is a tricky place. It is. Right? Because here's the other thing. And yeah, I'm talking to you out there. You know who you are. You're the do it yourselfer that's going to try to save every penny and so you're trying to you know you're going on youtube or you're talking to your buddies and you're trying to get the answer and you're going to solve this the cheapest way possible now i admire it but at the same time you mr diy or miss or mrs or whomever you are diy out there you can't go out there and get all i mean like don't expect to get all the knowledge for free and then you know, just sort of disappear and then and then wonder what happens if that that organization goes away, because right. if you never help there, spend the money there to, to sustain it, then it's going to disappear. There's a time and a place for being cheap. But when it's dealing with your financials, I don't know that that's the time or the place. So I love cheap. this expression. You can um, buy once, cry once. Yes. OK. And that that's the implication is get the quality that you need to get something done. There are some things that the quality level less important, okay? Uh, if I'm gonna use a tool one time and it's disposable, that's different than if I'm gonna be in the trade using it all the time and I need something that is commercial grade that is going to last because it has more than a defined life cycle. Yeah, there's a. I think my dad had a quote for that. The bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low prices forgotten. <laughs> it's, it's not a very succinct quote, but it is meaningful. Yes. Yeah. S said another way is uh, you can buy it right or you can buy it twice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that to me echoes through the ecosystem of our economy right now, and we are struggling with it. I want to, again, our listeners are smart, right? Except for that one guy we were just talking to that is you know, DIY and wants everything for free. You just need to awaken a little bit. You're on the path to genius, but you gotta get over that hurdle. Like we, it, we all have to, you all have to share a little bit, right? Uh, no, this is not me advocating socialism. This is me advocating ethical capitalism at its Ooh, I finest. I like that. I like that. That is that is my favorite phrase right now for the marketplace. Can we make T-shirts? Yeah, ethical capital. Yeah, we probably could, huh? Let's do it. Okay, so you you heard it here first. We're trademarking ethical capitalism for a T-shirt. Like we're gonna it. brand it. They're going on sale. Soon. And and you know why I love it so much? I think it's a great response to the socialist out there. Because the yes. socialist oftentimes has in their heart really good intentions. Yeah. Right? I can't fault the intentions of people saying, if we would all pull together, then look at what we could accomplish. You just can't execute it, though. Yeah, and that's the thing. I go, yeah, if. 
that's the that's the presupposition. Yeah. Like, well, suppose we could do it. And then I go, but I've done like group projects with only four people, and there's always somebody that doesn't pull their weight. Always. Right? So there's always that person copying in the back. I, I laugh when, I, when people say, if we could just get the country to pull together for this, I'm like, I can't even get an HOA to pull together. How can you get the whole country? <laughs> so, and again, you're out there listening right now. Somebody, some of you are going like, glad I'm not in an HOA. And I'm like, yeah, you are. And some of you are in HOAs and you're like, oh gosh, he's right. <laughs> You know, you just can't win them all. Or you water it down to the point that everybody just kind of goes, mm, okay, whatever. Uh, and, and then you don't necessarily get meaningful change, right? That's, yeah. that's the thing about government. What we, uh, my, my, one of my favorite quotes of all time, let's all be thankful we don't get all the government we pay for. Ooh, I like that. Right? I, I'd be like, government, we pay a lot for our government. Let's be thankful we don't get as much as we pay for. Ironically, the government still spends more than it gets, too. So I'm like, wow, way to double down. Yes. Okay, so when we talk about the cost of scale, why am I bringing all this stuff up? I mean, with the backdrop of ethical capitalism, we need to understand some things about our system. And then we're going to talk about how this relates to to you as uh, investors and, again, how, how everybody fits in here. So first off, uh, the cost of doing business has really changed, right? Explain. We'll, Take that a little deeper for the listeners. The, the tools at our disposal have really changed. A lot more tools. We, there's way more tools. Yes. And the reality is that for most of the jobs, productivity has gone way up. Think about because this. Because technology is making it easier. Technology is making it easier. And it's not just your cell phone or a computer, right? Chainsaws revolutionized logging. Yes. Okay? And new equipment has further revolutionized it. If you go to the modern day mill, there's very little waste, right? And a I lot mean, less workers. There are a lot fewer workers, it's true, because so much automation has taken the place and there's it's a higher degree of accuracy in most cases yeah. with these systems. Now, this is where many people get confused in the debate, okay? Because they see it as, we've lost all these jobs and so we must have lost them all to other countries you know like all the jobs were shipped overseas to china and i go hold on they're changing well a lot we've largely had an increase in manufacturing productivity and output with fewer people what's happened is the jobs have become more efficient and more productive but the downside is those jobs that used to be filled by people with living wages aren't filled by people anymore so here's the conundrum that we now sit in. Again, the cost of scale being part of this. A lot of what we manufacture because of the cost of labor here in the United States, right? And what contributes to the cost of labor? Everything. Yeah. I, I, I mean, all of it. It's taxes. And it's the requirements that we have legislatively. You know, employers have certain mandatory expectations for everything from minimum wage to mandatory breaks to i mean all those things that and i'm not suggesting those are bad things right i'm not suggesting they're good things either but i'm suggesting that those all go into the cocktail of cost and if everything from our pollution regulations to you know all of it it, it goes into the mix and those regulations the, the boundaries and parameters that we place on business. That's probably another way to describe it, too. People just say, oh, regulations, red tape. Let's think of it as 
the government puts parameters on a business, requirements. Regulations are requirements for behaviors, and it costs to do it. Yeah. Right? And those costs have to be borne by the business somehow, right? Yeah. You have accounting, and you have personnel, and you have human resource, and all those other things. It's all part of the cocktail of how it gets priced. Well, if you could take part of your business process and move it somewhere else where those costs were lower, you often do. And and we have seen jobs lost to other states because of either progressive or regressive tax policy. And what we've really seen in our country is manufacturing overseas. Yeah. Right? I mean, we have seen a lot of stuff get shifted overseas. So what does that do to the job market? It really changes the landscape of labor. Why am I telling us this? Think about the cost of scale. If labor gets more expensive, because the cheap, low-hanging fruit, if you will, that the, the easy labor is if it can be shipped overseas and been done be done cheaper, because let's be honest, if you go to China or Taiwan or something like that, they don't have the same regulations and they don't have the same worker protections. And thus it's cheaper. So it is cheaper. They I mean, I'm not saying it's okay. I mean, like I'm not an advocate of child labor, for example, or for you know, long days and unsafe working conditions. I'm not advocating for that. But the fact of reality is it exists. It, it exists, and many companies take advantage of it. And because economies are different around the world, right? The economy of Vietnam looks different than the economy of the United States. The cost of living in that economy is different. And so companies will take advantage of that those transitory prices. But it does create a challenge back in the United States because if you outsource big chunks of the labor market away, those jobs go overseas, and now what are we faced with? A dichotomy of jobs in our own economy. So you've got the jobs that can't be outsourced, right? Yeah. Like a lot of our food service industry, those jobs can't really be outsourced. You can't get somebody in China to do the cooking if you're here. Yeah. So it changes the dynamic of the workplace and changes the pricing, which then affects the entire economy. It's got to keep pace. Yeah, And so this is one of the ramifications of globalization. So with this backdrop, I want to talk a little bit about what this means for us specifically as investors, right? Ooh. So stick around. Yeah. What does it mean to investors now that we've got this globalized marketplace? We're going to cover that and then we're going to get into some of, some of the goods for how it, you can personally benefit from it. But we must first take our obscene profit break. So we'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. We have just completed our obscene profit break. Thank you for sticking around. <laughs> and if you uh, want to catch up, we've got the podcast. It'll be uh, on the web page tomorrow at littlejohnfs.com. Today we are talking about the cost of scale, right? What is the trade-off between things getting bigger or smaller? And the first thing we're sharing is, you know, the world is, it's, it's a big world, but it's getting smaller, right? The economy is globalized. That means that we see a lot more manufacturing happening across borders and being traded back and forth. Uh, United States companies will ship things overseas, have them partially completed and shipped back for final assembly and so forth. And this is happening all over the place. Now, 
I'm not here to make a comment if it's good, bad, or otherwise. But I'm saying it's happening. You're okay? an observer. Yes, I am an observer in this case. Uh, you know, I can tell you examples where it was probably not so great. The beginning of a pandemic when a lot of our personal protective equipment is not manufactured domestically. We couldn't get it. And we had problems, right? And so there is probably some need to evaluate what our situational awareness is as a country and make sure we have some strategic allocation of resources within our own borders. Same thing with the chips. Yeah, uh, the chip manufacturing is a, a fascinating one. It's puzzling to me how it got so far behind, other than technology continues to iterate so rapidly. Was there a material shortage involved with that as well? Uh, again, I have not studied up enough to really understand it. Okay. Uh, I know that positionally in our portfolios, we have taken advantage of that for many of our investors nice. by having exposure to the chip sector, and it's been very beneficial. Uh, but again, there were other reasons that we recognized that and applied that, and it's not a brand new thing. Um, our One of our core premises is that technology is continuing to increase as a percentage of our overall economy, right? And not yeah. just in the United States, but globally, that technology is... My suspicion over the next 20 years as, in, as investors is that we won't have a tech sector. We will have sectors several within. sectors of yeah. tech. And... Uh, you know, so we'll we'll kind of recarve the S and P five hundred, for example, to not be the so nine or so sectors yeah. it is right now, but it will be subsectors of tech. It's an interesting thought. I had not thought of that before. I like that though. Yeah, I mean, we just you sort of see the direction things are headed, and uh, you know, I'm not Nostradamus or anything, but you know, it can, does make sense. Yeah, I mean, take a look around. You can see these things sort of evolving, and you know, look at what our kids are learning. You know, I have to train my children to tear their eyeballs away from screens, right? Like yes. We put boundaries on our kids saying, you need to go do something else physical and manual because I want to make sure your brain is fully developed and you don't just learn how to stare at a screen 18 inches from your face and you know everything from how your vision develops to how your proprioception, everything else. I'm like, I don't want that. I want a, a well-rounded kid. Not saying there's no flat screens in our life. There are. I'm not, not that guy. I'm not making that statement. But I'm saying, like most things in the known universe, an ounce of moderation is usually a good thing. Yes. So, okay, enough preachy. So, Matt, okay. let's talk a little bit about this idea of scale and what it means really for investors. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have sort of entering into the financial field. You've got this great fresh set of eyes. Let me ask just from an observation standpoint – what do you see uh, within Little John Financial as what is really a pretty small boutique in financial firm versus what maybe previously you've seen in some of the, the large financial offerings that are out there? Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I'm seeing people that take an extreme amount of detail and caution with what they're doing, and they're focused. So... You know, when when we're in a meeting, we're taking a lot of effort to make sure that we're looking at each individual's needs and customizing things for that person. And I feel like if you go to a bigger setting, you're not going to get that individualized experience to the same degree or to the same level. And so, uh, you know, like when they call, 
you know that you're, you're getting about, a, like when a yeah well, when a customer calls, calls firm, when example. they call you guys that phone is often answered in the first two to three rings whereas you're not calling an 800 number and oh extension one two three and press four now you know you're getting a real person that you know that knows your specific set of circumstances and is working to make you successful financially that's yeah. what i've noticed you know this is super applicable to that phrasing of scale right? yeah i guess it is because one of the things and, and when matt and i spoke before the show began and we talked about this I, I mentioned him here's the interesting thing that i don't know that many people take a step back and examine sort of what makes a business go and what does that mean to us as customers I think we largely just say, for example, I'm going to go to the supermarket. I'm going to buy the stuff. I'm going to go pay for it. I'm going to leave. Yeah. Right. And and nobody thinks about the logistics of getting everything on the shelves. And when somebody takes something off the shelf, the shelf magically refills. Right. Nobody really pays a lot of attention to how we know what it costs because we know how much money we have to spend. But what goes into the pricing? How is that determined in the first place? Right. Yeah. And so. And we oversimplify on this show all day long saying, well, it's, you know, supply and demand. So we, yeah, but there's a lot of variables within that that ultimately filter into how that supply and demand balance. So the scaling issue here, I mean, let's just use, you know, big box store. Big box store, here's what people may not think about. How, why do they get to deliver oftentimes a better price on something than say the small boutique i mean we're just talking grocery stores you got like the local grocer versus a chain grocer i mean buying in bulk i mean the amount of product that they buy at one time can drive a price down so it can but, but you know you can only move so much product in a region yeah right so i mean you have two grocery stores that are across the street from each other why is the pricing different from one to the other i think a lot of it comes down to and i'm not going to name a specific business but you get into these big branches there's no one there that's helping you. If you want to find something, you've got to go look for someone to help direct you in that location. Like, yep. what aisle is this on? Sure. And, and I think that there is some of that. But I think there's something else at play that most folks don't think about. What's that? I think that when you've got 50 stores instead of one, you can have upper level management that is overseeing all of the stores. And so the efficiencies that are gained at scale is when you have one store and everybody has to either have one person wear lots of hats, right? They have to be the, mm -hmm. the, the expression is chief cook and bottle washer, right? They are trying to do everything. Or you can have, you try to hire for everybody, but now that there's not enough margin, right? The company can't sell at a high enough profit to pay for all of the people that they need. But if you can get 20 or 30 or 50 stores, now you might have one president and some regional managers and then people underneath them. And all of a sudden, it doesn't take as many people because one person can be applied to multiple locations. And so that cost is spread out over more. Yeah. And as a result, you get some efficiencies at scale. But it that gets comes bigger at a cost. and it gets more efficient. Well, it does, right? Because the flip side is, and anybody listening, you better have said, you know, I could go to the big box store, but the quality I get at the local grocery is better. Yeah. And that wouldn't surprise me if it's farm to table, right? I mean, there aren't these middlemen in storage and everything, so everything's fresher, better. You're, the experience is different. The quality level is higher. Indeed. So is the cost. 
Yeah. Right? Typically, uh, the farmer's market is different than the supermarket. Okay? And that's not that one is better or worse, although many of you may be arguing that, hey, you know what? The lettuce is better at the farmer's market. The honey was grown here. Yeah. In the county. So, and those are all cool things, but it's also the farmer's market can't feed our town. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, we there's just not enough at the farmer's market. We could clean them out, and then everybody would be hungry. So that it's supply and demand issue too, right? The reason I bring this up is because the, the businesses are built for different things, right? Walmart is not the same as the local boutique shop. You're going to get different things and different experiences. But it bugs me when people try to compare the apples and oranges. Right. And I will say that Walmart can siphon enough customers off who are price shoppers to kill off other organizations. But then they can drive the price up if there's no one to compete well, with. Well, you know, you're, you're, you're getting ahead of me because on the next segment, we oh. want to talk exactly about that, is what does it look like when you have a situation? I have one in mind that I want to share, but I won't share it until after our next Obscene Profit Break. Okay. So, yeah, you want to see an Stick example around. where the company... Uh, kind of gobbles up the market share and then changes the price. We got it for you, but we got to take a break. So we'll be right Sounds back. Good. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon, and you're listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. I'm your host David Littlejohn. Joining me in studio today, Matt Dixon, and we are talking about the cost of scale, right? The trade-offs that it we're, we have in this globalized economy, where some companies get bigger, and it means they may offer the product cheaper, but then you lose the personal touch. And one of the things we talked about at scale is there is a danger out there. Uh, that, that we're starting to see, or at least I've noticed, where some companies can get so big that even though the smaller companies out there may try to compete well, they, they basically get priced out of the market. You got an example for us, David? Uh, I know you do, Matt. Ooh. Uh, how about Uber? Oh, do tell. What do, what do you mean? Uh, I've heard a lot of stories from people lately about they've been on vacation or they're traveling and they need an Uber. And they go to book an Uber, and the price is just through the roof. And they open up another app, which is Lyft, and the price is half the cost. Uh, I've heard this same rumor. Ah. So go on. Where, where are we going with this? What do you think has happened? I think Uber got a lot of people on board, and they decided to raise their rates. But Lyft came along and said, hey, we can beat that price, and we want to steal some of your clientele. We're going to undercut you. Right. So... Right now, it looks like Lyft is, we would call this buying market share. Yeah. Right? So let's price competitively because largely, I think that Uber and Lyft are really similar from a ride-hailing perspective. Yeah. Uh, they're not the same company. Uber no. does some other stuff for sure. But the autonomous driving. Here's the thing that's interesting to me. Um, Uber and Lyft have largely killed off most of the taxi Taxis, companies. Yeah. And so they kind of killed off most of their competition, and you're left with two players. What do we call this? A monopoly of well, sorts? It's, it's called an oligopoly. 
Ooh. Right. But it is close. Ooh. I mean, you're right. Because so an oligopoly is a very small consortium of competitors that essentially collude on price to keep the prices up. Great example that we have all heard of that does this all day long. And there's not a thing the United States can do about it. Can I take a jab at it? I'm take probably wrong. I'm thinking Apple and Microsoft. Nope. You no. would be a swing and a miss right in Oop. the dirt there, young man. Oh, boy. So... The reason that you can't do a thing about it is because it's not domiciled in the U.S. Right? It's not regulated the by the United States. Hmm. And I will give you a hint: it matters at the pump when you are gassing up. And it is OPEC, the Oil Petroleum oh. Exporting Companies or Countries. I wouldn't have guessed that. OPEC is a oligopoly or an oligopoly and so this is a an organized group that determines how much output they are going to produce from the oil fields right and so saudi arabia kuwait and all the different they all get around the table and they say here's how much we're going to produce and this is how much it's going to sell for in the marketplace and then you've got some people that aren't part of that consortium right maybe yeah. brazil even the united states and they determine production amounts as well. Now, the United States is more complex because there's all these environmental regulations that influence. Okay. But nevertheless, that is an oligopoly. It's price collusion. Yeah. You know, so it's not a monopoly, which is one, mono, but an oli, many, right, oligopoly, is still a small enough group to collude. Well, Uber and Lyft kind of work that way. Okay. Right? And... To a certain extent, you see some of the major box stores around the country doing the same. I, mean, I bet you we could name, what, about a dozen major box stores that control the vast majority of the market? If we think about Walmart, Costco, Costco Target in that group, and uh, if you think about the Kroger chain of grocery stores, you know, Kroger bought Fred Meyer, I believe. Yeah. So that's a that's a big Safeway there. and Albertsons are owned by the same company. I think they are. So right. yeah. So you've it's got just a handful of mega companies that are doing the the grocery and then you know Best Buy for electronics, uh, and then you know like an Amazon isn't really a I mean it's a consortium it's a of a bunch of small of its providers. It's yeah. more like a platform for distribution. But you get the idea that it's a handful of players that run a lot of the marketplace. That's not to say that there are not going to be competitive smaller organizations that can get in there and do Will anyone ever compete with Amazon in the way that Amazon's structured and how much they offer? So that's what Walmart is attempting to do. Right. And it just looks different, right? Walmart, rather than trying to let you as a consumer source everything, Walmart does the sourcing for you and they get the best price through their bulk purchase. Mm -hmm. and, and so then it becomes a battle of logistics. And if you think about what Walmart has started to do, they've added uh, grocery pickup in some markets, grocery delivery. They now have a similar to um, Amazon Prime. They have like a subscription-based delivery service that you can get in major markets. Yeah. And they've also added things that uh, are convenient to go to the store to get. So groceries. That didn't used to be part of the Walmart model. 20 years ago, they didn't have grocery stores in most They have Walmarts. evolved. Yeah, so they've added that. Like even here locally in our area, they used to have a tire center and now they don't. Now they have a grocery instead because it's going to drive more people to the store. Yeah. Now the super Walmarts, the really big ones that are built today, purpose built, still have tire centers. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, you can still get tire centers at a lot of Walmarts, but not this Walmart in our region. And so it just depends. That was a retrofitted store. Mm. Okay. Well, that, again, is a an interesting competitor. And, like, how does Costco survive against Amazon? Because you buy by the pallet, and it's hard to ship pallets. Yeah. <laughs> so you pull up in your truck, and you load the pallet in the back, and you've got dog food for the next eight months. Right? Yeah. Costco's got their membership, their credit cards. They've got a... It's a good it's a, business model. It it's, is. It's a, but it, again, think about the way the business model operates and how they deliver what they deliver. And now you're starting to think more like and an the return investor. policy. You can't beat that return policy. There's it's, a reason we buy things at Costco. It is all part of the customer experience. Everything from the return policy to there is a brand trust that comes with Costco. There is. If, if it was good enough for Costco to carry it, it must be good by default. Yeah. Right. Because they've already screened it. They wouldn't put it on their shelf if they didn't think it was a decent product and they wouldn't be willing to take it back if they well, even though most of it's on consignment anyway. Right. But they test it, figure out what it's going to be. And before their label goes on it or they let it in the store, they have an expectation that the consumer is going to like it. They the, test it. The idea of brands that we trust really ties into the radio show today, too. It does. It does. Yeah. So and, and how? Because when you're shopping and you're trying to figure out who to go with and how to invest your money, you really got to have someone that you trust. And I mean, I don't feel like when you go with a really, really big company that you can establish that same level of trust that you can with someone who's smaller and knows your needs. Yeah. And this is, you're, you're sneaking in on the, the topic that I think all of our listeners really should kind of zone in on, right? And, and it's it's such an important topic, so important that I'm going to make you wait until after the break. Oh, you're killing here. me over here, David. I'm going to totally do it. All right, there is the music, and that means, oh, no, we're going to take a scene profit timeout, and then when we come back, you want to know what I think is really important as an investor to understand. It's going to affect your price, but you got to wait until after the break. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Radio Show. And um, Matt, when we last left our heroes, we were talking about what I think is super important. This has been the segment I've wanted to get to all day. If you're Driving just, home. Yeah, if you're just now tuning in, you are in for the, the, the key. And if you're not just, you know, if you are also podcast, right, check it out at littlejohnfs.com. So that's for financial services. Dot com and it's under the educate tab you can get uh, connected on the podcast here so what happens matt when you call a mega finance company you get someone who asks for a name identification and maybe some numbers that you got to put in to get where you need to go yeah so here's the trick i mean have you ever successfully called a large mega financial firm and gotten quality financial advice no they um, don't know you well, and here's the interesting thing about it, too. There's some things that you need to be aware of. Uh, there are places, for example, where they may have even certified financial planners on staff. Okay, uh, Can they help you? Sure. They can. To an extent, though. Correct. Because there are a couple of critical things that come down to even something like in the, in the certified financial planner arena or CFP. Uh, one of the 
requirements under the code of ethics is to define the scope of the engagement that you're going to have, right? And so what will happen is in many cases these firms will limit the scope of an engagement because it's not possible for somebody to get enough depth of knowledge about your financial circumstance to give you holistic and comprehensive financial advice. I saw you and Justin collaborate last week on a particular client, and you guys were able to come together and effectively save that person a ton of money. Yeah, yeah, and, and that kind of stuff happens pretty regularly when you've got uh, a, a, the kind of relationships that we're talking about. But let's here's what it comes down to. Remember, I'm talking about scale and the, the cost of doing business. As consumers, we should understand these things. Right? You know, how does an airplane afford to operate? Well, a lot you know, of when people. you get 120 people yeah. that get on the plane and they all pay $300 a piece, right? Then you've just. You can make it work. You, you made $30,000, $40,000 came in on that flight and you got to pay pilots and fuel and everything else, but you're, you're going to hop somewhere else and get off. Well, that was $30,000. Maybe it cost you $28,000 to do the flight and then you got $2,000 of profit above and beyond what went into that cost. And so then the plane's off to its next flight, right? And, and you just need to know the cost of everything, but it requires scale. Running that plane with 10 people in it costs them money. It's a net loss. The only reason they do that is, well, we need to move the plane from here to somewhere else in order to get people on it. Yeah. So otherwise, those planes need to be full in order to be profitable. So that's a very different animal. If you think about super mega financial firm that has super, super low fee structure, they are relying on volume. Yeah. And when you get into volume, I always say this is the difference between the Army and the Special Forces, right? Because in the Special Forces, you I know like what they tell analogy. you to do? Yeah, accomplish the mission. You know what they tell the guys in the Army to do? Wear the uniform. Yeah. Everybody does it the same way, right? It, because now there's ranks and so forth. I'm not trying to bash the military. Quite the opposite. I, you know, I have great respect for this. But the analogy is solid. The though. analogy is what it is. Like, there's a uniform standard because you don't do super custom when you've got tens of thousands of people that you're managing. Yeah. Okay. And that's the same in the financial world. In fact, you can't afford to. It's dangerous. It's a liability if you have too many customers and you can't track all of them. Yeah. So you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Right? I mean, that's yeah. what happens. You lose the customization in most cases. And in some cases, you may get a, a, a person that will help you, but it's still going to be a limited engagement because what they're doing is they're balancing the revenue with the number of appointments that person can manage. Okay? So they're trying to contain those engagements to a certain amount of time keep them efficient and productive because they know that if you take more than a certain amount of time, it actually carves into their profit margin. They want profitable customers. This is not evil for business, by the way, but you should know what you're paying for, right? Yeah. That term ethical capitalism, be forewarned of what you're buying, right? Yeah. And so that's the issue. I have no problem with like, I'll use a company name on this program too, like Vanguard, for example. They know what they're about. Yeah. Vanguard largely sells index strategies, primarily mutual funds. They have some exchange traded funds as well, a handful of actively managed mutual funds, but the vast majority of their assets are in passively managed low cost index funds. And they're not providing financial advice. It's a low cost chassis for you, the investor, to go buy into an entire category of the market at a low price point. That's yeah. their game. Right. 
And they, they, they're not, they don't even shy away from it. They're like, look, you know, if you pay somebody else more than you pay us over the lifetime, you may end up paying more. Yeah. Right? And, and they frame it as if it's a guarantee that you'll pay more. It's not. Right? Because we don't know past, perform, you know past performance doesn't guarantee the future. And they don't talk about anything but the investments. Like all things created equal. An investment that costs you less, that performs the same as anything else, will be better. It's kind of like a spec house versus a custom build. It's not even that. It's This is like the duh statement of the world. If you could buy two cars that were identical and one of them's cheaper than the other, get the cheaper one. It's the identical thing, right? That's yeah. like your lifetime cost is lower. Well, thank you, Dr. Science. That wasn't <laughs> tough. You know? I love that you're just spelling it out. It's. I mean, that's what they're saying. But what if what they're saying is, well, we don't know if you're going to need a car or a truck, and we have no idea what the weather conditions are, or we have no idea how many people you're driving with and all that stuff. It's like, well, then, you know, maybe you need a little more customization. Maybe you need something for your circumstance. Exactly. Okay? And the trick is, and, and in a sense, yeah, I'm, I'm advocating for the small financial firm, but to a degree, I'm not really saying like they're better, worse, or otherwise. They are different. It depends on the investor. Well, it depends on the need, right? When you go to a super mega financial firm and everything's really cheap, be prepared to do most of it yourself. You're buying the tools to DIY. And if you're doing that, expect to put some labor into it yourself to get it right. Because in effect, what they're offering is a one-to-many relationship. Like I have with you all listening right now. There's lots of listeners. I know it's you think it's just you, and I love you, but I love the other people listening too, right? And the thing is, this this program is broadcast from me and Matt in studio to lots of people. For the advice of a lot. Right? So it's one too many. But when you want to get really into the nitty-gritty of your circumstance, that ends up one-on-one -on -one or one-to-few. -on -one Right, you know, maybe you get a small team of advisors that are collaborating. Well, what is the cost of the time involved to get those professionals there, exclusively paying attention to you and applying all of the years of knowledge, expertise, and education directly into your circumstance without any distractions of other people at that time? Yeah, it's expensive. It's like, why are lawyers expensive? Because they have to be in order to keep the lights on and stay around. Right. And because nobody else can do what they do in most cases, other lawyers can. But, you know, that's part of the issue. So the cost of it, the advice is, are you going for the one too many relationship, the big box store where you're going to get a volume discount? Is the cost that different, though? It can be different over a lifetime. Right. Okay. And that's how things get measured over 20 years. Small savings really do add up because compounding makes a difference. But I will say all day long, the cost of a, of a mistake is oftentimes more expensive yeah. than what you save, right? Yeah. You know, I could tell you my mistakes oftentimes cost me more than the cost savings I thought I got. Yeah. Just from my perspective, looking at the difference in cost, though, I mean, I mm -hmm. don't think it's that outrageous. Well, I don't think it is either. But it's also like, well, you don't have to change the oil in your car. Yeah. You could not do the maintenance and save some money. But what's the lifetime cost? That engine's Unclear. not going to run. Unclear, right? Maybe it works out fine for you, but maybe it breaks. And to me, there's something about having your financial strategy tuned up on occasion that makes sense. What about the cost of the peace of mind? 
that is a whole different animal too. You know what I mean? Like, but, but I I think that it's more than that. You know, if you're paying the government more than you need to, legally, right? I'm not saying dodge yeah. your taxes, but I'm like, if you could have saved on taxes, but you paid a little bit to figure that out, like you would have missed it, right? Missed opportunities are are still missed, right? Mm-hmm. If you calculate those in, either missed opportunities or the cost of the mistake, it can be material. So it just depends on what your engagement is. And then the reality too is it depends on um, what the firm was designed for. I mean, it sounds horrible, but it's really hard if you're just getting started to find a lot of firms that'll give you the time of day because you just, they don't, it's too expensive for them to talk to you. Yeah. And you see that a lot when, and that's, we try not to be that firm, but you know, nevertheless, it's the challenges, the regulations, right? The rules of engagement set by the government. Yeah. You got to make it expensive to provide the service. Yeah. So it is a, a, a challenging animal, but anyhow, so there is the, the, the chat of the day is just, what are you buying? What is the cost or the trade-off of scale? Is it, you know, what are you getting for versus what are you paying for, right? What if the listeners have questions? What do they do? Well, you know, there's always Google. There's Google. (laughs) But is there a number that they can call? Oh, what a subtle setup. Ah. Yeah, I would say that here's our rule, right? Maybe not everybody's a client of ours, and that's okay, but we want to help anybody. So uh, I will encourage you to give us a call, 541 375 zero eight nine eight and and the whole point is simply that we want to help people leave in a better spot than they got to and and you may end up that we're a great fit and you know we end up working together it can happen yeah so anyway uh as you can tell the music is playing so it is time for us to uh say goodbye but uh thanks for tuning in as always matt Thank you as well. Love being here. All right, gang. Well, until next time, uh, remember, give us a shout, 541-375-0898 or littlejohnfs.com. But we got to run. I'm David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to The True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.